Hey, welcome to Access. John here. I felt convicted to issue out a message to all who are listening to these podcasts from home uh, that if you're not a part of Rungi First Baptist Church, that I am not your pastor and that these messages are designed to be a supplement to your daily walk with God, not a substitution for the church. I strongly encourage you to stay in fellowship with other believers through the local church. And if you're a part of Rungi FBC, then we can't wait to see you when you return. If you're ready for today's study, then turn your Bibles to John chapter 16, verses 16 through 33, because this message is entitled, Abandoned and Alone. Have you ever felt alone and abandoned? Well, if you feel lonely, just know you're not alone. According to a recent survey, nearly 47% of Americans report feeling alone or left out. And while we might feel isolated, abandoned, and or alone at some point in our lives, few people are fully aware of the dramatic ways in which loneliness can impact us. Loneliness isn't dependent upon the quantity of relationships that we have. And it's ironic because you know we live in this age where it's extremely easy to stay connected to people through the use of social media. But studies have actually shown that people who use social media report that they are lonelier than those who don't use social media. Neuroscientists have concluded that with all of the drastic ways loneliness impacts our bodies, it represents as great a risk for our long-term health as smoking cigarettes. Loneliness suppresses the functioning of our immune system and significantly increases our risk of cardiovascular disease. And it's discoveries like these, you know, because they just keep coming out. They, they, they just bring a little bit more weight to the Bible verses like Genesis 2.18 where the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. Now, last week we talked about the physical, financial, and emotional damage that our bodies endure when we are blindsided by something or someone. We talked about how we will attempt to compensate for the impact when we see it coming. But when we don't see it coming, it can be disastrous, which is why we try to be aware of our surroundings and must learn to fully rely upon God to give us a heads up for what's around the corner so that we can endure it. And while physical and financial damage can be devastating, what do we do with that emotional damage that we often encounter? That's my question. Do we suppress it? Do we ignore it? Do we move on? You know, I recently read a book entitled The Emotionally Healthy Leader, and at the end of every chapter is, is a quiz to see where your emotional health is. And if you answer it honestly, you're probably going to get answers like mine. Um, I was answering questions like, when you're in trouble, do you cry out to God or do you try to take, try to take matters into your own hands? Scale of 1 to 10. 10 being the worst, 1 being the best. Do you cry out to God or do you take matters in, into your own hands? Out of embarrassment, I don't even want to share with you how I scored on that exam. Let, let's just say that I have quite a bit of emotional baggage that God still wants to address in me. Loneliness is one of those things that I felt often. And, and, it's, and it's most often a symptom of an emotional wound. So if we're experiencing loneliness, it's important that we pray that God help us to identify what any emotional wounds we might be carrying around and also to give us strength that we need to face them. Now, emotional wounds, they influence us more than we would care to admit. And one of the deepest emotional wounds many of us might feel is related to rejection and abandonment, which can tremendously influence our decision-making. For example, 
we have watched the emotional toll divorces have had on several members of my family. Uh, my cousin in particular has taken her divorce really hard. Suffice it to say, childbirth often wrecks a woman's body. She was married to a man, and he seemed to be happy while she was young and skinny and beautiful. However, whenever she had a child and she put on just a little bit of weight, and I'm not talking very much, just a little bit, he began looking for what he physically desired in the arms of someone else, and it led to their divorce. Now, I, I can tell you this left a deep emotional wound within her heart, and she caused him, you know, that wound caused her to make foolish decisions. The last time I saw her, she was skinnier than I have ever seen her. And I came to discover why that is. See, she had her stomach sleeved and now she eats the size um, of meals, the portions of meals that you would feed a squirrel. And I'm not kidding. Because of her deep emotional wounds, she has to eat 10, 12 times a day just to ensure that her body gets the nourishment that it needs because she can't fit it in her stomach anymore all at once. She, she, she goes through this every single day. But hey, at least she's skinny now, right? Many of us carry an unconscious belief that in order to not only feel uh, or to feel not lonely anymore, we, we need to find another person to help us become whole and complete. And, and you know we can just equate loneliness with being single and not having somebody. But listen, loneliness isn't just something single people have to cope with. In fact, 62.5% of the Americans who reported to being lonely were married and or living with partners. They had a significant other in their life. And don't get me wrong. Other people can provide you with an immense emotional support and assistance, but they can never authentically fill the void within you. There is a God-sized hole in your heart that only God can fill. As we're discovering today's text, that is exactly the message that Jesus shares with his disciples. I want to read John chapter 16, verses 16 through 33. So if you have a copy of scripture, turn there with me. Uh, it says, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. And some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? And because I am going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw they wanted to ask him this, so they said to them. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because of her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So it is with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I no longer use this kind of language, but I will tell you plainly about my Father. 
In that day you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No. The Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things. You do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. But this makes us believe that you came from God. Jesus answered, You believe at last, but a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Father, we come to you now and just lift up this passage of Scripture. And I pray, God, that you might use Jesus' words, your words, in this Bible, in today's text, and heal broken hearts. Father, if we're carrying around, around just deep emotional scars, deep emotional wounds, that you would heal us, that you would expose the parts of our lives that we are not trusting you. Maybe we're keeping something from you, God. I pray that you would show us, using your word, what those things are, and that you would give us the courage and the strength to turn them over to you. I pray that you work through us in this message. And all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In today's text, Jesus tells his disciples that his time on earth is running out. He says in verse 16, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. And as we see in the next couple of verses, this statement bothers the disciples, and they begin to fixate on the words, in a little while. They begin asking each other, what does he mean by a little while? A little while, what does that even mean? Jesus saw they wanted to ask him this, and so, uh, and rather than leave them wondering, Jesus addresses the issue with them. Now, this question has been the source of much debate among theologians. What did Jesus mean by his cryptic use of a little while? How long is a little while to God? Now, it reminds me of a joke I once heard. A man asked God, God, is it true that a thousand years is like a second for you? And God says, yes, my son, that's true. And so the man asked God, is it true that a million dollars is like a penny to you? And God says, yes, son, that's true too. And so the man asked, well, God, can I have a penny then? And God responds, sure, just a second. Some people, we, we like to fixate on just we do just what the disciples did here is we fixate on god's use of time because we're not sure what he means by it some people believe that jesus was talking about the day of pentecost in this passage for the little while jesus spoke of was just a few short weeks away when he'd sit right sit down at the right hand of god and send the holy spirit to his disciples that that we would see him again in the holy spirit Others feel that Jesus was talking about how he would soon leave this planet and we wouldn't see him for a couple centuries, maybe even a couple millennia, and, and you know we wouldn't see him again until the second coming. However, I feel the safer approach to the little while that Jesus spoke of is less than a 24-hour time period. I believe Jesus was talking about his death, his burial, and his resurrection. 
Now notice the contrast Jesus uses in this passage. He says in verse 20, you will weep and you will mourn while the world rejoices. He's telling his disciples that those who belong to the world, namely the, the religious leaders, they had wanted him to be silent since he began his ministry. In their eyes, Jesus had undermined them at every single turn, and he had to die for it. And what was extremely frustrating for them is that every time they tried to capture Jesus or even stone him to death, he somehow vanished and slipped away. And he's telling his disciples, these men who want me dead are going to be dancing in the streets because they belong to the world. They have tried to kill me, and you know what? I'm going to let them succeed. Keep in mind, they will rejoice, and they think they have won, but I have different plans. Notice he tells his disciples they will weep and they will mourn, and I think this is just, uh, there's more to this than, than, than just a sad, you know, passing of our master, teacher, and friend who has died, and I'll get into that in just a second. I think there's more going on there but jesus told his disciples they would weep and they would mourn while the world rejoices but their grief would turn to joy and so he told them in a little while you will see me and then a little while after that or you will not see me and then after a little while after that you will see me again so he's saying he's like you will i won't be here you won't be able to see me and then you'll be able to see me again after a little while now this makes perfect sense to the lens of the death burial and resurrection Keep in mind, however, that while the disciples obsessed over the timing for a little while, it wasn't really relevant to the discussion. Because time is relative based on your surroundings. You may say, what, what, what do you mean time is relevant? Time is fixed. Well, listen, 10 minutes on a go-kart track goes by quickly, and 10 minutes in the dentist chair seems like an eternity. Jesus uses a simple analogy to reinforce his point with his disciples. Don't focus on the little while. Focus on what I'm trying to tell you. He says in verses 20 and 22, you will grieve and you will uh, you will grieve and your grief will turn to joy. And a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets about the anguish because of her joy that a child has been born into the world. So it is with you. Now is your time of grief, but you will see me again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Now, I would not, Jesus uses a, a, a perfect analogy here about a woman in labor. This is, we've seen this several times in the Old Testament, but I would not wish labor upon my worst enemy. I, I, uh, I will never forget when Aaron was in labor with our oldest son, Christian. Now, Aaron was insistent on doing it without an epidural. I still don't know why. And and it was by far the worst sort of torture that I have ever physically seen. And what's strange is, though, I think I remember the pain better than she does. And that's crazy because she lived through it and I witnessed it. I, I sat up with her watching the monitor and I had to tell her when these contractions were coming because she was so exhausted. She just wanted to shut her eyes and go to sleep. And it was so incredibly painful that it would wake her up as she was slipping off to sleep. And, and so every three minutes, even two and a half minutes, we were doing this. And she'd get two and a half minutes of rest and then she would go right back into hell. And she had me counting for every single contraction. I wasn't allowed to talk. I wasn't allowed to text on my phone. I was just, I was required to focus on that monitor. And I want to tell you this, it was the most miserable night of our entire lives 
And I say our lives because Erin made sure that I was physically in pain when she had contractions. You see, at first, I gave her my hand to squeeze, but that was not good enough for her. She wanted the soft part of my arm to dig her nails into so that whenever she hurt, I was screaming in pain too. Now, I, I'll never forget her saying, because I'm like, why don't you just squeeze my hand, babe? And she'd say, when I know you're hurting too, it makes my pain better. It's funny how misery loves company, isn't it? I would have opted for the epidural for me, and she could have squeezed my arm all she wanted, but she didn't want to do that. So, in seriousness, I watched my wife go through 25 hours of labor, and it seemed like an eternity. And I can only imagine how long it seemed for her. And yet, Jesus was exactly right. It's the most excruciating hell I have ever seen any person go through. And yet, when the baby is born, she forgot all about her pain. So much so that she later says, Hey, let's do that again. (laughs) Jesus' disciples, they were about to encounter grief like they had never known. And at this moment when Jesus was telling them these things, they felt as if they were being abandoned and that they were being left completely alone. But as Jesus told them, I did not leave you as orphans in this world. You see, when we're feeling abandoned, whether through a breakup or divorce or parents moving away or by something as final as death, much of the time we blame ourselves for it. We repeat Satan's lies that are whispered in our ears and we say things like, it's my fault and I must be flawed and and I have to fix this about myself to, to, to get love and to never be alone again. But in truth, not only is this an inaccurate picture of why we are victims of our circumstance, why we are abandoned, why we are feeling alone, it is also extremely self-centered. Notice what Jesus says in the next few verses. Look at verses 23 through 28. Let's read those again. He says, In that day you will no longer ask me anything. And I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. And until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I no longer use this kind of language but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because he loved me, and and you believe that I came from God. I come from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. What Jesus is doing in this passage is such a beautiful thing. Specifically says, in that day you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I have come from God. What he's doing is he's reinforcing that they are loved by the Father. And they can go to the Father directly. Now that is contrary to the entire system that they grew up with. The system of Judaism was established upon the precedent that in order to talk to God, you needed a mediator, a middleman, a high priest. You see, God was isolated from the general populace because they were considered sinners. Yet when Moses was going to speak to God, 
They asked, the, 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 he told the people, come to God. And they said, no, 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 you go and talk to God because we are terrified. We know that we have sinned against him. Tell us what he says. And so God honored that request and they were required to have a high priest serve as the mediator. The blood of Jesus that was shed upon the cross established the way to go to the Father. As he said, no man may come to the Father except through me. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Which is why we don't pray to Mary or some other apostle or some other saint to ask Jesus on our behalf. Which is why we don't even pray to Jesus. Jesus told his disciples, don't ask me to go to the Father on your behalf. The Father loves you. Go to the Father yourself. Notice what Jesus' disciples say in verses 29 and 30. They say, now you're speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and you do not need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Now, I... I, I, as I originally read this, it just seems so cryptic as to what's going on here, and I just didn't understand. It's just bizarre. You know, they're saying, well, here it is. And Jesus said, oh, yeah. We'll get to that in just a second. But I think what's going on here is I think they're still in their grief. This is their grief talking. I think this is a display of an emotional wound of abandonment. Remember how Jesus said in verse 12, I have much more to say to you, more now than you can bear. More than you can now bear? I, I think it was their attempt to keep Jesus with them by explaining that there was no need for them to go. You see, they were feeling abandoned, and they started to, to think that the reason why this was happening was because they had done something, and it must be fixed, that they are flawed, and they have to, they have to believe now. That was what it was. Like they, they felt like their lack of belief was why he had to go, and so he told them. And so they told him, Lord, look, we fixed the problem. We believe, we see, right? You don't have to go. We know, yeah, right now you're speaking to us plainly, not, not in figures of speech, because we don't need you to go. We need you to stay. And yet Jesus tells them something that I think that would soon be the true source of all of their grief. What he tells them is that he's not abandoning them. They will soon be abandoning him. And you see, this is so important for us to see. As Jesus was being arrested in the garden, each of his disciples abandoned him. Each went, just as Jesus said, to their own homes. And as Jesus was suffering on the cross... Only one disciple came to stand at his feet, the Apostle John. And you know, it's one thing to watch your Savior and your Lord and your God suffer and die on a cross when you are powerless to stop it. But it's a brand new kind of bitterness and self-loathing when you abandon him and didn't even try. Mark 14 tells us there was a young man following Jesus. We don't know who it was or what his name was, but he got out of there so quickly he left his clothes behind. Yet while Jesus was prophesying about he, how each one of them would abandon him, how 
Peter himself would deny knowing him three times. He says to them, You will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. You know, I began to think this week about the times when I have felt the most alone and, and I've been feeling like I was abandoned. I think I've had my heart broken many times by breakups. I've lost good friends to death. I've lost family members. I've even had my parents pack up and go and move to the other side of the planet. And sometimes it feels like just so they can be away from me and my siblings. Yet I can honestly say God has always been with me. And as I was thinking about this troubling uh, passage, God brought another passage to mind. You see, as Jesus was hanging on the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as I thought about these words, I was just overcome with grief for Jesus. Because in that moment, when he was hanging on the cross, God turned his back upon him, and Jesus was totally and completely alone. I have never and couldn't ever experience loneliness like Jesus did upon the cross. The full weight of punishment of sin had to be placed upon his shoulders, and the Father had to leave him. Jesus died on that cross utterly and completely alone. He died after being tortured and crucified. And the truth is, is that if I were there, I would have abandoned him too. And yet there are still times when I feel lonely. But I believe each of us must see that Jesus went to the cross alone. So we would never have to feel lonely again. Jesus died alone, but as he told his disciples, you will weep, you will mourn, you will hate yourself for abandoning me, you will blame yourself. But I tell you, your grief will turn to joy. Just like a woman carried through labor, you will forget about your pain because of what you will see. What will you see? You will see me. Jesus concludes today's study by, by saying that he, uh, he told his disciples these things, not to bring grief on early, but so that they would have peace. He tells them, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And this is an important lesson for us to drink in. As his disciples, we are never promised a worry-free life. We are not told in Scripture that our life ceases to be difficult the moment that we become a believer. In fact, if Scripture tells us anything, it's that life becomes more difficult when we become a believer. Jesus told his disciples, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But as it is, you are not of the world. That is why the world hates you. Jesus promised us that in this world we will have trouble. People will sin against us. We will be persecuted. We will be hated by the world because we speak the truth. And, but in these moments, 
When we feel isolated and alone, Jesus says to us, Take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus endured everything this world threw at him, and he rose victorious. As believers, we will have... We will got we will not we're not going to see Jesus face to face, but when we do, what a glorious day that will be. And we are excited about that. But listen, we have encounters with the Holy Spirit who lives in us today. We don't need to look for fulfillment in the arms of another person or in something or in a pet. You know, to ask your spouse to carry the burden of bringing you fulfillment is so wrong because that is a burden that only God can carry himself. Don't look for genuine company in the arms of another person. Find it in the arms of God himself. Jesus says, I have opened up the way for you to to go to the Father yourself. The gospel message is that you and I have sinned against God and because of our sin we were cut off from Him and we were headed for eternal condemnation. But God, being rich in mercy, sent His Son Jesus Christ to pay for our punishment upon the cross. He died alone, but He rose with an army on the third day. And if we surrender our lives over to Him, We never have to feel lonely again. Because even if all abandon us and leave us alone, we will not be alone. For the Father is with us. Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Rungi in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.